0: why do i think we already talked about this i know i've talked about this
1: uh probably when you did kick around
0: you're right because i'm sitting here thinking i'm repeating myself i know we've done this bit already (laughs) Hello and welcome, FC Dallas Curious Fan, to episode number 74 of Third Degree, the podcast. I am Buzz Carrick. Peter Welpton is obviously not here today. He has some uh, personal business to take care of, which happens from time to time. Uh, that means it's just myself, and my co host today is none other than our usual legendary British influence, and that is Dan Crook. Dan, how are you doing today, my friend?
1: Well, I'm feeling a bit special after that introduction. Now, uh, you know, surviving this uh, this no longer two-game week.
0: Yeah, that we've been shortened the week, and we've been shortened people on the podcast, <laughs> perhaps appropriately. Uh, but we still had a game to talk about. It was just uh, all the way back on Friday, and it's definitely worth, I think, getting into really quickly. Uh, it's, we won't have to do two games. We still have to do one, though. And that's the rivalry game, the El Capitan game, the Texas Derby game uh, against Houston. And remind me, Dan, that I want to ask you about rivalries in Texas in a minute. Uh, When we're done with the game talk, I want to ask you about the bigger picture. But um, I think to start that game, we have to start with the elephant in the room, the elephant in the FC Dallas defense. And that is the legend of Matt Hedges, who uh, passed Jason Christ for the record number of regular season appearances for the club. He already hon- owned the starts and minutes record. Uh, the man is a club legend. Uh, and all he did was when he set the record was go out and have a absolutely spectacular, spectacular performance. And Dan, I know you're ready already to put up a statue for the man.
1: Yeah. I mean, I asked him that on the, uh, on the call after the game, which side of the stadium did he want it? Uh, but you know, Matt Hedges, humble as ever. Uh, uh, yeah it's, it was great to see him set the record I mean you know he's coming up his his tent he's gonna have his uh, decade in Frisco next year being a fantastic servant at the club really from what five games into his career
0: yeah he really quickly moved into the lineup way back when um, you know partially perhaps from injuries but uh, really quickly, people realized what an important key figure he was. And maybe he wasn't the full-time starter right away, but he definitely was a key contributor right away. And now, what is basically a decade later, um, he's breaking all kinds of records with the clubs. And you can imagine that at, at the age of, I believe, 29. I didn't look it up.
1: I think, I think he just turned 30.
0: Did he just turn 30 then? Well, that's close enough to 29. Anyway, you can expect... A couple of more seasons out of Matt, I would imagine. Uh, he may not be able to go until he's 34, 35 like Reto Ziegler is, but surely 32, 33, you would think. So a couple more seasons, he's going to set some pretty substantial marks. Um, it'll take a homegrown who starts at 18 and plays for 15 years to beat him. Um, I fully expect him to become you know, a member of the Texas Walk of Fame. If you remember, that's a thing around here. Not particularly active these days, but it should be a thing. Um, he had, in, in this game in particular, he had 25 defensive actions, which is an amazing, amazing amount of work against in the Houston game. Um, more than uh, um, Reto and more than a Brisson double. I
1: think uh, he had them combined. He was under everything. Uh, offensively, defensively, he had the only shot on target for the game. He was a bit unlucky. Uh, towards the end, there was a, a header that he was barely out his reach and just kind of skimmed off him. Uh, you know, if FC Dallas was going to get a result, it was going to be off the head of Matt Hedges on both sides of the field.
0: Yeah, and aside from Matt, the collective defense looked pretty good. This was the three-man back line again with Johnny Nelson playing as a left wing uh, and Reggie Cannon as a right wing, wing back, if you will. Um, Johnny took a step forward in his passing and offensive production. Still is not Ryan Hollingshead, of course, but – uh, solid defensively. I did want to give him particular credit because he went up against Albert Ellis, who's a phenomenal player. That's a very, very difficult defensive assignment for a young player like Giant Nelson. I thought he did a tremendous job.
1: Well, and, and least just destroyed SKC. Granted, they're not a particularly great team, but you know, for a guy who's well, well effectively a rookie place. since he since he was a sorry.
0: Well, Sporting was in first place. That Houston just destroyed. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. True. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking too much back to the uh, the team that lost 6-0 in, in Frisco at the end of last season. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're just having memories of the Dallas dismantling last year. Yeah. No, this year, sporting is good.
1: Yeah, they, they did pretty well in uh, in Orlando. That was a weird tournament. though.
0: <laughs> well, I still have some um, minor concerns about pace in the back. But, you know, you're looking at a Dallas team that um, last time I looked it up a few days ago had only given up three goals against, which was the second best in the league. Uh, they're not going to have given up more, obviously, but um, you know things can change. They won't, they might even be alone in second place instead of tied at this point because other teams have played. Um, so we feel good about the defensive situation, particularly because we've seen both Acosta and and, and Santos, Tiago Santos playing in a double pivot. That's plenty of reinforcement in front of them, whether it's a four-man back line or three-back line. So we're very happy with the defense, right? Offense, of course, we have a major, major problem. And one of the reasons – Uh, I bring that up right now is because, Dan, you had a fantastic um, post this week that talked about exactly what the problem is beyond just to say they're not scoring. That's easy to say. That's clear. So, Dan, why don't you explain for the audience what your story was you had this week and what the big issue is right now?
1: Well, thank you, first of all. Um, Yeah, there's been an issue of, you know, we've seen that gap. Pete has called it an empty bucket a bunch of times. The double pivot we often see taking the beginner's season, those first couple of games with Tessman and Santos, you know, when we say pivot, we're talking about you know, both pivoting back between midfield and, and defense, and the fact that one can pivot into the role and the other can, you know, can support the forward runs. Well, you'd have Tessman going forward, Santos drops back. T- Santos goes forward, Tessman drops back. Uh the last three games with Acosta in the role really it's, it's just been a case of they've both sat back and, and supported the back 3 or 4. Uh now with the back 3 you kind of expected it because you know you want to have the numbers game and allow your wing backs to get forward but you know as the team's gone back into you know when they've played as a that 4-2-3-1 4-3-3 three, three, uh combination you really didn't expect to see it. You were expected to see FC Dallas hit them on the break, midfield up in uh, and we and we didn't get that and speaking to lucci in the week uh, he kind of said you know they're taking it a step at a time they wanted to get the defensive side of it down and feel confident and confident was kind of a, an interesting word to hear come out of his mouth cuz you know you you're confident in your team always right but he said now that we're now that we've got the defensive side down keeping clean sheets now it's time to take a step forward and and start linking forward. Um, oh sorry.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say before you keep going on your on your story is that that quote for me at the time really struck me as something a coach says in the spring training part of a season. Yeah, that's what you would say after two or three games against yeah you know, as you're getting warmed up for the season. Say, well, we got our defense now, so now look for the next two or three games. Now we're going to work on our offense as we get ready for the season. But this is happening for this club, this is happening now or instead of maybe when it could have happened in Orlando, if you had been playing in Orlando.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, particularly when your first three games are against bottom of the Western Conference and two against a team that had never won in three of their franchise, as short as that is, um, you know, it didn't seem like the time to be working on defense. It seemed like these are points for taking, let's go and get them. Um but said it was confidence in in getting points, as in just getting a point, trying to get a nil nil out of the gates. Uh, you know, again, probably not the time to use it to 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 kind of have that mentality. But you know, they're on their third preseason; some of them on their fourth. It's 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 kind of a weird time for everyone. Um, I did like the speaking to both Matt Hedges and Reto Ziegler at different times they kind of put it down to the midfield just isn't playing fast enough that as as play transitions they're just getting left behind uh, I,
0: I, can, I can i can i can see that i actually have a little bit of a theory about that um it, it's related to the season a bit and we'll we'll come back to specifically who we think personnel-wise is an issue but um you that that playing slowness for me uh, my concern is that it comes from a little bit of a mentality focus, maybe even burnout. Uh, and I know that's crazy when you're talking about a team that's played five games, but think about what's happened to this team mentally since last season, right? They, they, they press in the, in the playoffs and almost knock off Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have personnel moves start to happen. There's a few changes, but nothing crazy. You get Tiago Santos in. That's not significantly different. You know, Grosso had already been gone for a while. You get these stories, however, that Frank O'Hara is coming in. So now we're worried about that a little bit. So you get ready for this season. Then you have the big COVID gigantic hit. Now, granted, that affects every team, of course, but this team uh, you know, is was one of many that, have, that had their season shut down right after they get going. And then they go through another spring training and it's time to go to Orlando. And then, bam, they get hit by this COVID infestation that they can't really take any point. There's no pointing fingers at any uh, in, in individual's Fault in this, it just sort of has not happens systemically, and so they're out again, and then they have to go back and do another preseason to get ready. And along the way, uh, one a player who is relatively liked within the team gets jettisoned for off-field issues. That's Jesse Gonzalez. You know, uh you have guys coming in, and and the well liked, very popular guys like Cobra are all of a sudden not playing. You got guys like Reggie Cannon who are looking at making their, their big move and maybe it's not going as fast as he would like. And other guys are thinking, man, he's getting out of here. When am I going? And, and some of the young guys are looking at players that are being reported as coming in and might be taking their playing time. You know, So I think there's something to be said for the fact that maybe there's just a little bit of flatness or, or dare I say, burnout mentally that, that this deep into the year, not season, the year, that they're uh, uh, not mentally sharp and mentally aggressive. You know, they're they're too much just playing in the game. And, and I even asked Lucci about that a little bit on the conference call, if you remember, and he agreed somewhat that there's been a lot of mental wear on this team, but he likes the response he's seeing. So with some time, maybe we'll see how it goes. But um, there's definitely, I think, not just a physical side of this, but a mental side
1: yeah definitely you know you got to think about the things have been through soccer is a very stop start game just in its nature you know you can one of the comparisons uh, is like to to long distance runners people people who you know maybe run half marathons and marathons for fun and they start picking up soccer and they're like well I just can't deal with this whole sprint 10 yards and stop and then sprint 10 yards and stop it's just what it's just not conducive to my body you know so just just in nature you've got guys who are used to having a like a 10 month period where they're trained day in day out play day in day out and then they stop for a couple of months instead it's been especially the guys who go to the national team you know it was october it all stops or whenever they hit their uh, mlspa date stop for uh, you know stop for november Guys go into national team camp, start back up in uh, in December, sort of on the side, and then they go off in January, they have their, their camp, come straight into, pre- you know, take a couple of weeks off, go into pre-season, have a couple of weeks of the preseason, then it all stops for a couple of months, builds back up, go go off to Orlando, stop again for a couple of weeks, build back up, it's just... You know, and particularly uh, the whole thing of everyone sitting in their hotel rooms for two weeks, some without even access to fresh air. uh,
0: Right. You know, it's damaging
1: in every sense.
0: Yeah, I remember the reaction when they got to go outside for the first time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I wonder about the mental side. But so mental aside, aside, nice joke. uh, Do you think there's a specific player in midfield or in the front six, perhaps? that might be particularly somebody we should look at in order to try and fix these problems, or is it something that can be happened just tactically just with the belt?
1: Well, I mean, I think a lot of people outside of the club um, have identified Brian Acosta as maybe not doing what we expect of Brian Acosta. Uh, you know, that's the big change to the midfield. That's, uh, that's one of your biggest ever signings. And it's somebody who's, just not producing, um, you know, not completing very many passes. He's got the famous air shot, and uh, you know when you when you're playing a double pivot with a, a guy like uh, Tiago Santos, who was brought in to be really a single pivot, uh, you expect Acosta, who's a who's a typical eight, to be the one getting forward more and linking up play, but he's just not doing it.
0: Yeah, I wonder about why we're seeing a double pivot. I mean, I knew why we were when Tessman was in there because um, Lucci talked about Tiago Santos being new to the system and maybe not knowing the roles completely. Um, But now, like five months later, that ought not be the case. So I feel like tactically we should be able to see Santos as a single pivot. And that would, of course, free Acosta up because I would agree that Acosta is the one who's not doing the linking job um, now, you could say Thiago Santos isn't either, but he's not supposed to be, I don't think. Yeah. I think Acosta's supposed to be. You know, he's he's the guy still
1: been there. one of the best attacking players on this team yeah, in every I game. I, I,
0: I would agree with that, but I think we saw how much um, the, the team changed when Brandon Svegna came in. and had, It had a lot to do with his positioning. It's like Brandon only had like 10 touches that game, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it still changed the way the game was. So if Acosta can be shifted up higher by about 10 yards up the field, I think that'll make a big difference in terms of the quadrants where Dallas has possession.
1: Well, especially I think Brendan's biggest uh, impact was actually off the ball. You know, he makes those runs. He takes a a marker with him that eases the load on on the team as a whole. It kind of kills at least part of the high press. Um, And you know, I I did ask why uh, you know why they were persisting with a double pivot, and and Lucci. That was when Lucci started talking about. Taking it one step at a time. And you know, he was talking about a lot about being sound defensively and working on ball recovery. Not a whole lot of, you know, building a foundation, which building a foundation when you've got one of the best defenses in the league is is kind of a, a strange sort of line to to come out with. But you know, building, as I said, building a foundation before kind of getting further up the field in transition. Um, I was a little concerned because at some point the idea of a triple six was used well, geez. was uh, was mentioned. I was like, no, please, no.
0: <laughs> well, that comes from that Warshaw idea that Dallas has multiple midfielders who can do a rotational game, but um, yeah, you know, Paxton is willing to do that work. But you don't want your um, higher free player, particularly when you're playing a double. That guy needs to be really free up in front. You know, playing this is a real ten. You know.
1: Yeah, I was I was hoping that was kind of what the what the intention was rather than like a straight flat
0: three sixes. Cause that would be the most boring team to watch. Yeah, that would be bad. Well, you know, a lot of what we talk about with that positioning is, uh, and again, to use the Brandon Serena example, as you would see when uh, the transition would happen uh, in that game, but by his being like 10 yards further up the field, he takes one step and he's able to turn that ball back into the center backs rather than letting them break loose up the field. And that little change too can make uh, a lot of difference in terms of the other team's ability to not get out of the back easily, and that's part of how you keep a high press going and how you keep let the team other team not transition quickly down the field, which was the case with what they were playing against the last two games, which was a team that liked to play with a very rapid transition in both Nashville and in Houston.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's kind of one of the beauties of of the the way that you know that they have the midfield set up in a double pivot or or in a single or or even in that uh, triple pivot it is just being aggressive being that having that kind of pressing nature to put players under pressure um and it's it's been a little bit disappointing to see you know when we talked about even switching to the 352 the idea being that you've got three center backs one can be spare and attack the ball or, or further up the field the can attack um, sorry can support one of the the center midfielders while the other one attacks the ball and and that was just not what we saw we saw a, a very
0: conservative approach all right here's my last question about the Houston game how are we feeling about Frank O'Hara um
1: so it's it's going to factor into the the stuff I was writing about, you know, the defend the midfield not not uh, playing too deeply. We saw some really nice touches from him, really cultured. Um, there was a couple where he, you know where the easy thing to do was kind of take the ball down into the into a defender, and instead he kind of played body side and and took it round. But we saw him drop in deep a lot. We saw him trying to make runs up the left wing we saw it in positions that you don't want your high nine. Um, you know, when I looked at, it wasn't for the Houston game, but when I looked at numbers from the beginner's season to the end of the, uh, to now, I was looking at uh, the touches by the nine, the 10, and, and whoever replaced them in the lineup, uh, specifically in that position. And in the final third, they're getting about half as many touches as they were the first two games. Now, you know, law of averages... If you're getting half as many touches, you're going to score half as many goals at best.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. It looks to me like Hara is looking for more touches. Now, we've talked about how he and Cobra both are not getting enough touches. Uh, Mikey Barros is not getting enough touches. So I see a player in Hara, uh, and I do have concerns, but they're related Mm. to how he's integrating into the team. I mean, is he a touch slow? Yes, but he's 32. So that's to be expected. You know, as you mentioned, the culture is there. He clearly knows how to play. The ball's not coming to him. So he's coming back to midfield and looking for it, trying to find it. He's pushing out wide, trying to find it. And so you're getting him. The limited touches he has are in the wrong place. So, you know, I don't think it's I'm I'm not going to I'm not judging Hara in a negative way here. I'm judging this system, not supporting him yet, just as it didn't support Cobra in the game he played the other day. You know, it's whoever's in that nine role is not getting the ball in quality positions and that's on the rest of the midfield or to make it happen. So um, my concerns about Hara and his production are related to team concept and not individual concept. Now, Lucci is going to have a tough line to walk um, if the team continues to not produce how long you keep running out players that aren't producing, even with one of them being your highest paid million dollar player people are going to start – I don't mean people like on the outside. I mean people on the inside. Like his own players are going to start to look at each other funny and be like, you know, why are we rolling out the same 11 dudes when we haven't scored in six games? You know, not that we're there yet. But, you know, there is a line to walk there with the coach. You know, if if players are outperforming in training and players know it, you know what I mean? The team knows it. Those guys Mm -hmm. aren't dumb. You know, so if if he continues to be making decisions based on something other than performance, that's how you lose a locker room. So that'll be a thing to watch. I don't think we're there yet, uh, but I think it's a thing to be aware of as we move forward.
1: Well, you say uh you mentioned it as an internal thought, but even external. You know, we've seen people completely write off Hara now and demand to know why Cobra's not getting time, and then when Pepe comes in, demanding to know why Pepe's coming in instead of Cobra and You know, pretty simply, um, Hara and Cobra are not runners. They're not guys that you want getting the ball deep and trying to run through the opposition. They're guys that you want to get into the box and feed them the ball, get them into at least the final third, and let them do something. You know, the the old adage about the First World War and uh, and walking very slowly out of the trenches into uh, machine gun fire, and and how uh, doing the same thing again over and over again. With the same results as the definition of insanity. It applies there. If you bring on Cobra because Haar is struggling because he's too slow to drop that deep and run through the team, you're gonna get the same result with Cobra. Uh unfortunately, you know, Pepe isn't the answer there, Ferrero isn't the answer there. It's it's the midfield. It's let's get the ball higher. It's you know, play play Luchi ball, not play this conservative brand of it.
0: Yeah, there's an aggressiveness missing, I think, uh from most of the team, um, which we, and we see that expressed when you do bring in the young kids by how it changes, how it sparks, when it's, whether it's Paxton, whether it's Brandon, the two examples we can think of, that the thing has sparked, the thing is popped, and all of a sudden there's movement, and it's like, why well, is he the only guy doing this? You know, So there's some mentality there that I think needs mm-hmm. to be addressed one way or the other. All right, that's the last thing about the Houston game, except that I want to talk about one big-picture item, Dan. Now, you're a little bit more in the supporters' culture than I am, So I want to ask you this question. What should we do? We, the universal we, what should we do with the rivalry cup, the El Capitan in the state of Texas when Austin FC comes in? Does Austin FC become part of El Capitan? Does Austin need its own thing with each Dallas team and a Houston team? Or is there a way to do a triple thing? What do you think the answer is?
1: Well, ultimately, that is a trophy that was brought by the front officers, so they're going Good to do point. whatever they want to do. Right. Uh, but no, uh, Austin isn't a rival of either team. Rivalries are historic; they're not, you know, just made. Uh, Houston and Dal- Houston Dynamo and FC Dallas fans are, are rivals because of Ricardo Clark kicking, uh, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, fish in the fish face. in the head, yeah, yeah and yeah.
1: stuff like that, not because of. Not because somebody just says, "Here, here's another team, just uh, hate them, I guess.
0: Yeah. Oh, fair uh, enough. I guess we'll have to see what happens organically. That's the way we always think yeah. of soccer. I mean, anymore, Austin right?
1: Austin definitely are trying to make noise and, and agitate people. Uh, you know, last year when Columbus were here, uh, a group of, a lot of fans from Austin made the drive because, you know, they wanted to quote-unquote kick the tires on on their new players.
0: Hashtag marketing.
1: that's got nothing to do with market well not uh, that
0: part the austin making a noise part though
1: yeah it's just uh you know they'll uh they're gonna have to find their own rivalries i guess and if people want to care about them they'll care about them if not they won't realistically half of the fan base are gonna be made up of people who just can't be bothered to drive to dallas or houston anymore so not going to be a lot of uh not a passion in that one
0: well, they do have the 40,000 ticket thing going, which is uh, impressive and, and good for them. And I actually uh, welcome another team in Texas. You know, I, I don't necessarily love the way it came about, but I love the fact that there's a third team here. I think that's tremendous. I, I do feel bad, as I always say I do, for San Antonio. I think they deserved it. But, um, yeah, that's a different that's a different discussion. Just having a third team in general, I'm on board and I'm excited.
1: I oh, know, I'm with you. It definitely should have been San Antonio, but um... – You know, having a third team is is great anywhere you put it. And, you know, Austin has a great women's soccer scene. It has a great youth soccer scene.
0: Maybe it can be an MLS hub still. All right, on to the next game on the Dow schedule, and that was Wednesday's Colorado game. Now, we on Third Degree are the non-politics version of these things. We're going to talk about it only from a logistics standpoint. And the logistics standpoint that I wanted to bring up, Dan, was the... um, what, in my opinion, is poor communication by the club, because I listened to Lucci today and Lucci said something about hearing about it when he hit the locker room, you know, which is what, two hours before the game, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So at least someone on the staff at that point in the at time knew something potentially was happening. Now, we didn't see any lineups posted about an hour out as usual. And I know there was some communication through official channels to just watch the broadcast. Uh, to me, that is all a gigantic fumble in terms of communication with your fan base. Most of the people that are coming to the game can't listen to that broadcast. There was no good official communication from the team to the fan base far enough out to make a change in plans 30 minutes an hour even if it's a warning i mean i get maybe you don't want to scare off fans or something but uh to me this is all a gigantic fumble in communications with your fan base
1: uh yeah uh, i'd say that um it kind of goes back to uh the last home game right Uh, fc Dallas having that weather updates page and not updating it for three hours right Um, You know, it's basic communication, uh, both to media and and fans, um, even to their own staff. I mean, the problem you have is, you know, there was obviously talk before I even left my house, I was, you know, I was waiting to see what happened because there was a lot of talk about MLS maybe postponing everything, or players maybe postponing everything, sorry. Um, But a lot's going to hinge on...
0: We discussed it among ourselves at like starting at four o'clock when the first... Uh, Milwaukee thing, the Bucks thing happened.
1: Yeah, and there was a lot of talk about Players Association and and BPC were trying to make it happen, but communication getting through was kind of difficult and a lot hinged on the Nashville-Orlando game, so I waited until that game kicked off before I even left. Um, Obviously, as we found out since um, you know, there is an MLS rule where players have to turn off their phones an hour before the game. So communication just didn't get through to them. Uh, the national coach, Gary Smith, had said he didn't know any games have been called off until after their game because there's just, in that in that instance, and particularly without a, a crowd or anything, there was just no communication with the outside world for those couple hours. Listening to Lucci today on the fact he was talking about, you know, as well as just hearing chatter about it, The meetings they were having as a team, coaching staff, with ownership, with Colorado, with Colorado's technical staff, with the officials, communicating back to the league. Um, The uh, the athletic put something up saying that um, by the end of it, you know, so many so many sets of players were were going to effectively strike for it. That Don Garber held a quick conference call with all the owners for the teams that would participate in yesterday and. And said, "Hey, look, we just need to uh, we just need to call it on mass and and get behind them now." Sorry, Del Loy Hansen. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's not get into that. Uh, I'm not getting into anything. Uh, yeah, but by the time it all went down uh, in the press box, we were watching the uh, ESPN broadcast for the Miami game uh, against Atlanta, and you know, for that it was the same as it was in Frisco. It was players were kind of standing around a few minutes before they were due to kick off. And there, at least, they they got the message across that the game was likely to be postponed. I think FC Dallas screwed the pooch in that part because, you know, I got there. The training balls weren't out. Um, goalkeepers had, had done their initial warm-up, but all the players had come back in. The officials were kind of going through their warm-up still. Yeah, that um, was the biggest
0: indicator, was that there was no players out, you know, 30 yeah. minutes, 45 minutes in the game.
1: Like you say, the lineups come out an hour before kickoff, but um, nothing was released until half an hour before the game. MLS didn't even have it. The only place that had it was uh, FootMob.
0: Yeah. Well, Uh, they must have gotten the data from somewhere.
1: Oh, they yeah, they would have gotten it uh, gotten it from Opta. Yeah. Um. So it just meant you know officially it had been filed, but they weren't planning on publishing it. I'm sorry, and, and you know, we're asking for updates and we're saying, uh, you know, and they're saying well, you know, Gina, the, the VP of Communications is doing TV and all we can really do is is wait for the updates that come through on the TV. So fans never found out until after it was postponed. People watching at home found out the exact same time most of the FC Dallas fans found out. It was uh, you know, yeah. it was it was kind of like what you'd want to see that last that, uh, for the weather delay. Things are delayed at Present. Yeah. Update. We have no update. Just something.
0: Well, even the final announcement inside the stadium was maybe five minutes after the announcement had been made on social media. You know, people around me had no idea that it was canceled, you know, for five or more minutes. Uh, Now, speaking, Dan, of the lineup that uh, got confirmed, it was uh, as we predicted around these parts. Imagine that. Um, (laughs) And that was going to be returned to the four man back line at a four, two, three, one. Now let's, I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about what that lineup was going to be and see what we thought. Now, in particular, Ryan was back at left back. That's fine. Uh, Kellen, uh, not Kellen, (laughs) Brian Acosta was keeping his spot as the linking midfielder. It was still a double pivot, but we'll call him linking because that's what he's supposed to be. The real interesting thing was up front where I thought Papa, Papa Pico appropriately was going to be your left wing starter. Uh, Frank O'Hara was, of course, going to keep the nine spot, as we expected for now. Uh, And the real interesting parts were Jesus Ferrer back at the 10, and Ricardo Pepe, as you mentioned, a player more likely to run at people on the right wing. So what did you think of some of those changes?
1: Interesting. Um, I know Luci's talked about the idea of Pepe on the wing, um, which is weird because he doesn't like the idea of Ferrer on the wing when... Neither are particularly fast, but they're both guys who are good running with the ball. It would have been interesting to see how it how it panned out if uh, if in that moment Pepe was going to be, you know, kind of a true winger or more of an inside forward, getting him with uh, with Hara, and then, right. you know, seeing how Fafa and and Jesus kind of
0: played around that. It would have been interesting to see if it turned more into a box, you know. Yeah. Uh, what we might call a two-two-two 2 2 setup. Um, you know, Pepe, not particularly a natural winger. You know, if you want to tap, tap a natural winger, you ha- would have had to go to uh, Brian Reynolds maybe, or even Orion Hong said, um, you know, the guy that can play anywhere. Those would have been more natural wingers. But the reason that you and I predicted um, Pepe would start was that how much Lucci glowed about him on the conference call, um, the media call earlier in the week. So we had an inkling something was happening with that, which is why I expected him to play at least. And and we certainly know that um, what what Lucci said about him was that he was training well. Now, right now, we can't verify that. We only can take Lucci's word at it. So it seems that he earned some playing time based on his performance and training.
1: Well, especially when you think, uh, you know, Lucci is is not one that likes to talk about individuals too much. Um, yeah, you know, in a positive or negative sense, he likes to talk about the team. So to take a few, a good few minutes, like discussing how well Pepe was doing was, was very telling. It was huge. Yeah. yeah. It was telling.
0: Now it does bring me to a point I made on one of my patrons, uh, little bits this week, Dan, and, and I want to see, I want to get your thought on this. Um, I have two thoughts about Lucci and his tinkering. I'm going to call it. Um, the first is uh, Lucci will make changes late in the week, later in the week than any coach I've seen come through here. Now, Colin would, Colin Clark, by Monday or Tuesday, you could easily see the guys that were going to be a starter by the weekend. Uh, Oscar Preya, usually by Wednesday, he's still experimenting. He's still rotating guys in. Thursday, maybe a little, but usually by Friday for the walkthrough, it's pretty locked down. But Lucci, uh, I've actually witnessed Friday walkthroughs and heard about Friday walkthroughs that then Saturday rolls around and it changes. So he's willing to make tweaks late in the week, later in the week than anyone else. Uh, You know, and and all coaches will tell you that game, it's always a game day decision about lineups. But, you know, there's a school of thought that you work in the lineup you think you're going to play in, like during the week. And then the other side of this coin is that uh, the amount of tactical changes we've seen this year. We've seen a three-man back line as a 3 2 We've seen it as a 3-4-3. We've seen the base 4-3-3, which is the single pivot, the natural Luchi ball shape. And now we've seen a lot of, at home particular, four-two-three-one. So we've seen a, him searching for ideas. So what do you think? Is he over-tinkering with the lineup? Um, and do you, do you does either one of those things too many... Different tactics or late changes. Do either one of those things bother you?
1: Hello, um, I, I th- consistency is a good thing. Doesn't have to be the same eleven, same formation every week, but you know, having having some consistency is always uh, always uh, a hallmark of of successful teams. Uh, I actually asked him that after the the Houston game. Um, you know, if if maybe running three uh formations in three in three games was uh, i tried to put it nicely and say an overload of information for the players just in what their roles would be but he was pretty adamant that no it's uh you know it's all basic stuff and players know their roles and and that there's a there's a, a rough game plan and you know, really talking about the fundamentals of the game of uh, you know playing defensively, finding space, attack, on the attack inside, and uh, and that it's a it's a big advantage to have that fluidity and know that if they're in a pinch, there is Plan C, uh, Plan C, Plan
0: D, Plan E, and so on and so forth. Uh... One thing I will give Lucci credit about is he does talk a lot about flexible tactics, about fluid shapes, and about coverages. And he is true. He is correct about th- that in the sense of like, think about the way this team would build out when they're in the four man back line, right? The wings, the outside backs step up and the splinter center back split, and you would see a six drop in. And so right in that moment, it looks just like a three, five, two, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and the same, so that those kind of overloads, he wants the modern outside backs coming up, right? There's always going to be two or three, Either a double pivot or a single pivot, but it's almost always a three-man triangle. And the front is almost always another three-man triangle. Usually it's a nine with two wings, but every once in a while in the three five two it rotates and it's a ten with two strikers. So again, these there's these rotations and these coverages, when they're high pressing, the coverages are the same. And when they're building out, the coverages are the same. And when it collapses, it collapses into the same sort of shape. You know, so a lot of times I get what he's talking about. I, but I too worry that maybe it's a little too much. And I, I think it is a sign that early in the season, this season, he's trying to find some answers. So Yeah,
1: I, I think, um, you know, in, in talking about maybe like too much fiddling, you got, you're looking at guys like Johnny Nelson, uh, who already isn't, he's not an attacking wingback. He's, he's very much a, a defensive fullback. But by going between the back three and the back four, you're changing his points of when to get forward and when to get back, how much cover he has from the midfield, how much cover he has from the defense, how much the attacking midfielder is going to cover back. Uh, And it's those those small instructions within a role that then become a bit clouded. and, And that's where you see maybe although he was excellent in the Houston game, that's, that's maybe when you see, uh, oh, I, I don't need to track back with that guy because the center back's going to pick him up, and then suddenly the center back doesn't. And we'd seen that a few times between Bretto and Ryan yeah. uh, early last season when Ryan was still
0: kind of really getting into the swing of things. Yeah, that definitely was a, the disconnect with Nelson. Now, I, I earlier I gave good compliments to him because I think he did really well. Mm-hmm. You know, Against Houston, he did have the one turnover that almost was the goal. Um, But, you know, most of the time he also was really good about turning uh, Ellis into the defense, turning him in towards the midfielder or turning him to the center back, you know, where the help defense was. So he did a nice job, all things considered. Now, he's not Ryan. I mean, who is at this point, right? Ryan's one of the, the arguably the best left back in the league last year. And maybe he's not quite on form yet this year, but there's no reason why we didn't expect him to be right back in there. The way he plays is such a pivotal part of the way the team plays. And part of the missing offense almost assuredly has been him missing.
1: Yeah, and earlier this season, we have to consider he also had that knee injury, uh, the the Montreal game. Was it the Montreal game? He he really shouldn't have played Lucci his Wednesday training rule right. to, to kind of squeeze him in on that yeah.
0: one. Yeah, well, that's okay with Ryan. I understand he's such a pivotal piece of what you're doing. You know, mm. even more than Reggie, I think. Ryan's in, outside in play, Phil underneath, you know, almost like an extra midfielder and a defender at the same time. It's such a pivotal part of what they're doing. Well, Especially when, you know, we
1: know the strength of the team really is, has been the right side of, uh, you know, Reggie and then getting the ball to Michael Barrios. has been this team's most important player for five years. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we know that that's where the team's true strength lies. So having someone who can reliably get forward and then track back on the left side has been huge.
0: How about Jesus at the 10? Were you ready for that to happen again?
1: Um, I'm trying to remember the first time I said I didn't like it because it's not changed.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not. You know, Lucci talks a lot about line breaking, you know, and, and we know how important that position is in terms of building forward, you know, the connectivity that needs to happen, with particularly with Acosta, you know, mm-hmm. and the outside guys coming forward, you know. I, I'm not yeah. sure Jesus is doing that this year. I thought the first two games earlier in the year, he was particularly not very good.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of a strange one. I mean, we talk about the line breaking, and, and we've we've talked a bunch of times about how he and Paxton differ in that position. About how Paxton's going to pass through a team and create opportunities, and with Jesus, you're waiting for him to to make a run through for someone else to create the opportunity for him, or to you know to to create the opening that he can then create an opportunity, you know, in closer. I mean, if you're not getting up the field, then there's just then you can't really risk yeah. having to take those extra few steps. You know, It's uh, you need someone who can penetrate with yeah. the ball, not get, you know penetrate without to receive the ball.
0: Yeah, he was at his best last year when he was making those runs at the gaps in the back mm-hmm. four, you know, with and without the ball much. All right, so speaking of Saturday, at this time, we expect the game to be on. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not seeing signs from social medias or whatever that the players are – Already planning on not playing. The team seems to think they're playing. Um, Luigi says they think they're playing, so we're expecting this Minnesota game to happen. Now the North Texas game, the road game at um, Ford Madison, has been canceled. But again, that's in Wisconsin, so that's maybe more reasonable to expect that one to have been canceled. So, well, plus they're
1: playing in Milwaukee this season, so it's right. doubly,
0: yeah, you know. Fair point, yeah, so uh, that's not a surprise that one got, and it being down here, it's a significant difference that Minnesota's coming down here to play, so um, we're expecting the game. we could be wrong, we'll find out just like everybody else, and if, if we learn something, we will of course report it. but um, what do you think we're going to see against Minnesota and there was there was in a sense, a tiny bit of goodness gracious. Rotation. In a sense, there was a tiny bit of rotation happening, in the sense that Mikey was going to get a game off, obviously. But I would assume now that he doesn't need a game off, so well, as well. him back. Yeah, L- Luchi t- Luchi mentioned in
1: his pregame stuff, and
0: you know we don't have, maybe
1: have the insight uh, for the game because his pregame media, which is normally two get two days beforehand, which would have been earlier today, but I guess maybe because of his radio commitment at the same time, they they moved it to tomorrow, but. Uh, before the Colorado game he was talking about there would be rotation for Colorado and or Minnesota. So uh, he's uh there's obviously uh, less need for that now they've actually had a rest. So uh it's it it it'll be interesting to see if Michael Barrios is back. He's he's not performed well. Um if you know, if he was if he was benched on the basis of performance, then probably maybe we won't see him back. If it was a case of he feels he's exhausted, then maybe we will.
0: Yeah, the, the big questions at this point will be Mikey back in rotation. I think Fafa Pico will hold his left-wing spot. That he I'd was, hope so. That he was going to get. Paxton Palmicle obviously is the elephant in the room. I love that expression. Uh, twice today. Yeah, twice in one day. I mean... Is he going to be able to play? Is he going to be able to start? We don't know. We can't watch training, so we can't give you our judgment on how fit we think he is. You know, when he comes in, he looks truly dynamic and truly game-changing. You know, everyone is desperate for that kid to be able to start, yet Luke, she seems adamantly protecting him uh, above all costs, even at the case of losing games almost to not risk him. Um you know, I, I'm baffled by that. Uh, uh we'll, we assume Acosta will stay in the midfield, and we assume that Ryan will be back in the outside back. Um, and then, of course, Reggie's <laughs> any minute now, so um, that's kind of what we expect to have happen, and we'll hear more from coach uh tomorrow, obviously.
1: Yeah, and interesting, you, you mentioned Reggie. Um, it was pointed out in a few places. Reggie was uh, one of the few FC Dallas players who didn't get changed into their game shorts or in socks. He was still in street clothes. So, you know, that may have just been a a case of he went in, he was like, no, we're absolutely not playing. I'm not getting changed. Um, But some people definitely took it as a sign of, oh, that means he's gone. So what did you make of it?
0: Well, I noticed that all the players in the tunnel waited for him. Um and he came out, he was one of the last ones to join them in jeans and it looked like he was almost like, you know, wiping his hair off like he just gotten out of the post-game shower. That's how I took it that he went ahead and showered and other guys hadn't. Um I will tell you that uh an update from my end is that I've heard of a German team that's come in at the last minute for him which now is four teams that I know of that are um trying to get him. Uh, Interestingly, not spotted by me, but spotted by somebody else. He has followed Boa Vista, which is a Portuguese team on Instagram. It's one of three teams he follows, including FC Dallas and Barcelona. So read into that what you will. I'm not saying anything.
1: It's because they have that beautiful stadium built into a cliffside.
0: Yeah. Well, I have before mentioned that there is a Portuguese team among the mix. So you may draw from that what you will. I think it's kind of interesting. But what I can tell you from what I hear about Reggie is that um, this thing is, I thought it was at at the finish line with one of the teams. And then since then, three more teams have come in. So it's like it got complicated really fast. My worry is that Dan Hunt is now trying to squeeze every last dime out of some of these teams where you risk alienating those teams and having them say, screw you guys and bail. And you risk leaving Reggie high and dry with only one option, maybe that he doesn't want, perhaps like the Russia one, I would suggest don't do that one. You know, you're, you're risking wrecking this thing to squeeze a couple of bucks out of a kid that you should be taken care of, right? That you've promised to take care of and facilitate and assist pathway to Europe, right? That's the whole thing. So do not screw this up. So I'm literally saying the same thing I've been saying for a week and a half is that some of these things reached a stage where I honestly thought any minute we're going to hear about Reggie catching a flight to Europe. And I still feel that way. Like the Portuguese league, for example, I believe starts this weekend. So I think that any minute, it'll be Reggie's last game and any minute he'll be gone. And yet he'll play right until the point at which he's not an FC Dallas player. So he'll, he'll be the starter at right back until he's gone. And then all my information is that Brian Reynolds will be the starter at right back or get the first chance at right back. So we'll see. I think,
1: you know, one thing you can always say about Reggie is such a competitor and, you know, such a straight up person that, you know, you mentioned he'll play, until he goes, you know, he'll give 100%. He's not going to be one of those guys that, yeah. well, maybe we'll find his limit. I don't know, because every player does have one. Uh, you know, he's going to be that guy that gives 100%. And, you know, he's not going to be worried about the idea of, well, I don't want to get injured and ruin my chances of a transfer. He's just going to want to get in and win.
0: Yeah, I would say that about Reggie, that he, he totally understands the way the system works. I imagine he's getting frustrated with the lack of finality to it. But I, I agree with you that he will be, uh, you know, as dialed in as and as present. Uh, and I even asked Lucci about this. Well, my man, it was like a month ago, maybe now. Um, you know, how is Reggie's mindset? And he said, oh, fantastic. It's it's focused 100% right here with us in training where, where it needs to be. And he gave Reggie a lot of love and credit for that. And, and I think Reggie is true to that and will be true to that right up to the minute that he is gone, in which case he will you know, quickly move, go on about his business. And, and of course always have a love for this club. Just like, I'm sure people like Kellen Acosta do, even though they don't play here anymore. And, 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 uh, and Victor Yulo as well. So, and Oscar Preya too, for that matter, even though he's not here anymore. But, um, so that's the update when Reggie is, a, is what I can tell you is new, another team, a German team has come in, but that's, you know, I, I, I really do hope that, that Dan Hunt isn't screwing this up. I'm not privy enough to know whether he is or not, but, When you hear this much action at the last second like this, it makes me really nervous.
1: It sounds a lot like a bidding war, and you got to think, not is not going to be the one pushing a bidding war.
0: You wouldn't think so, because they've set this up. They put so much um, into making sure this happens, you know, Mm. with the way they set up the contract, the way they want to use this as an example to the academy of this is how it'll work. You know, you come here and you do great for us. We will help you. You know, it's going to help the club with the money coming in. It's going to help the club with the repetition of they're going to be a selling team. You know, it needs to happen. Uh, well, hopefully they don't bone it. Also, you know, you got to
1: remember, like, the business in soccer is all about relationships. Um, Bruno Fernandes said in an interview just the other day, you know, it was based on talking to Cristiano Ronaldo about what the people at Man United are like was the reason he went there not the money not the prestige but it was like that was the yes i'm happy to go and live my life and and be there every day but uh yeah you know there's things like that and pl- players talk uh you know what am i going to be forced to stay against my wishes yes no what's the you know what are the relations like with the ownership the coaches the fans and teams too teams think it's not just all about we want this player for this much money because there's a lot of Know, take ready. There's a lot of right backs in the world that you can get for, you know, a few million of a similar uh, talent level. They want an easy process, you know, an amicable process in in dealings with with a club both ways. So it's, you know, it's all about those partnerships. And we've heard about partnerships in the past that FC Dallas have screwed up with clubs where there's not going to be that same movement anymore. And Particularly, you know, in a in in leagues like in Italy, in uh, sorry, not Italy, in France, Germany, Portugal, you want to you want to harvest relationships. You don't just want to be Bayern Munich's feeder club. You want to be a friendly team that can provide that pathway and have the contacts to do so.
0: Yeah, and you want to have a good reputation as. You know, not not giving away players, but you want to have a good reputation as being somebody that's willing to do business. And when you do do business with them, they don't overcomplicate things, they don't make things difficult for you, you know, because nobody wants that. Nobody wants to work with somebody who's a pain in the ass. So it's all part of the growing pains of this club as it dipping its toe into these international markets. This is all so relatively new for this club. And I just hope that um, they can see their way to make it. I mean, Andre Zanotto coming from Grêmio, his experience there, he should know these waters you would think so um hopefully he can um, um keep dan in check and just, just some, this much activity scares me that's that's what my concern more for reggie than anything else is i don't want to see reggie get stuck when he's been after this move for like a year and a half now
1: and i think like you know it's kind of the uh the cowboys conundrum, right you don't see mark cuban getting involved in uh in Donnie Nelson's business, but you see Jerry Jones getting involved in Will McLean's business. Yeah. So we hope that the good friends of the, uh, of the Joneses, the the hunts aren't meddling too much.
0: (laughs) You hope not. (laughs) All right, Dan, what have we left out or what are we missing that we need to talk about today?
1: Oh, I don't even know. Uh, I guess one cool thing is, our. uh, uh, our good friend and, and local prospect slash former FC Dallas Academy player, Weston McKinney, has touched down in Turin ahead of his loan to buy to Juventus.
0: That uh, is an excellent point. And that reminds me um, that I, somebody asked me today, is Weston McKinney now the biggest and best ever prospect produced by this academy And I think he's not there yet. I'm still going to go with the Funas mori brothers since there was A, two of them, and they're also much, much deeper into their careers. Obviously, Weston has the potential to be there, and I think he could be there within a couple of years. But um, it's super exciting to see a local kid, a kid that came out of the academy that we all saw playing here, uh, do great things and make a move like that to one of the big, big, awesome, amazing, huge, massive clubs in the world. Yeah, I mean, um, it's kind of...
1: Difficult when you talk about the the Finns because um, you know obviously making appearances for uh, for Argentina not the easiest thing to come by. No. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, you know they've been kind of so-so. One playing in in Mexico, one going to Spain, and having a little bit of time at Everton and and, and not setting the world alight, but but being you know being a can a consistent player in in those top divisions and you know for western McKinney to 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 definitely be that that biggest prospect without doubt would have taken a couple more years at, at schalke and, and impressing at schalke more for for a longer time and you know or now fighting his way into what is a very
0: complicated midfield in yes in, in turin how much he plays will be a big, big, interesting question, a thing to watch, you know, and will determine a lot about what the trajectory of his career is, whether you can mm, get into really? that team or not. Just
1: that MLS connection, right? McKinney and Perlo.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got to, you, in order to win a European championship now, you have to have an MLS player or have an MLS connection, an FC Dallas connection, you know, with your uh, European champions of both the, cha- the Champions League and the uh, Cup Oh, yeah, <laughs> Sevilla and uh
1: yeah Sevilla playing here and Byron
0: <laughs> haven't, yeah and we'll have to keep an eye on Chris Richards and uh see where, where his trajectory goes with the Byron first team and my my guy Chris Kappas I hear might be moving soon so we'll see um I'm excited for all those young kids and hopefully Reggie will soon add his name to the list of um ex-academy guys playing their way in Europe that would be exciting
1: yeah it's, it's a bit sweet you want to see him do well and and uh and and play at the highest level but you also want to be a little bit selfish and want to have them playing in front of you forever
0: well thankfully we'll at least have Paxson and jesus and brandon and edwin and thomas although maybe not thomas we'll see wow you just dumped on all of them yeah no i'm, I'm excited they're all going to be here <laughs> get to watch them tanner testman i'm excited man i love watching these kids come through it's gonna be fantastic
1: Definitely. That's one of the nice things. Uh, I mean, that is one of the nice things about, about FC Dallas is, uh, you know, uh, those first couple of years of Orlando and, and New York City were just terrible. Terrible. Was, there was no connection to the local area. There was there was no progression. It was just guys that would uh,
0: fill in a role and getting old. And All right. Well, Dan, I think we've about exhausted everything. Thanks for uh, your help today getting this podcast. It was a little disjointed. You and I are not the usual hosts of this thing, but thank you anyway i mean we try we, we
1: we get there in the end and hopefully we're getting good information out to people that's uh, that's what we're here for right
0: hopefully, yes that is the uh, why we're here and hopefully people enjoyed the podcast this was episode 74 if i remember correctly we are glad that you joined us and if you enjoyed this podcast or enjoy any of our work be sure and support us at patreon.com slash third degree we could uh, use the support uh, we hope you enjoyed this podcast, and we'll see you again next week on Third Degree Podcast. Good luck, Reggie.